Well, welcome coaches, parents, players, and members of the community to a start of another great sports season. This meeting is to go over the appropriate conduct for sporting events so that we can display good sportsmanship and have a fun, positive sports season. Now, I've been coaching for four years now, and every season starts about the same. I receive emails from OSAA and Baker High School outlining the state's STAR program, which is guidelines for the role each player and person has at any given contest, from officials to spectators. Then we have a meeting that goes something like what I just said and leads into a detailed outline of what each role should and should not do. This includes player conduct, what they can and can't say, what they can wear, how they should act, coaches' conduct and how we can and cannot interact with the officials, the other team, and our players, and even spectator contact, conduct, how fans should and shouldn't cheer, what they can bring in, and how they should act. This message also includes all the consequences for failing to follow the rules, including being removed from the gym, banned from future athletic events, and even fines. And Oregon High School Athletics takes this very seriously. However, we know that people are not going to always come to the meeting, read the rules, or try to learn what exactly their role is and all of the do's and don'ts that they can and cannot do. And so they created this lovely poster to kind of simplify it. It says, know your role. Players play, coaches coach, officials officiate, and spectators cheer. This poster always amused me because it's really simple, but it also makes a lot of sense, right? I'm a coach for the high school, and as much as I would love to get out on the court and play volleyball with the girls, that's not my role. And I have been offered the role of an official, but I love coaching and, and don't really want the responsibility, and you can't really do both at the same time anyway. And one day, I will be a spectator watching my kids play, and I'll have to remember that at that moment in time, I'm no longer the coach. I just need to cheer on my kids and let their coaches coach them. And each of us at a sporting event have different roles to play, and every role is important. If we had no coaches, well, the game would be chaotic and there would be uh, no direction or instruction for the team. If we had no officials, well, there'd be no one to keep the rules in check and players would get hurt. If we had no players, well, there wouldn't even be a game. And if we had no spectators, well, last year told us what that's like. It's not a very fun way to play, let me tell you. And so as I was coaching my team this week and thinking about my sermon, I was reminded of a passage that reads similarly to this Know Your Role poster. Well, actually, it's longer than eight words, so it's probably more like the email I received. But either way, we've been given a guideline for what it means to be a part of God's team. And it's important that we understand our role in it, too. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll read that in just a moment. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is a brief snapshot of the life of an already established church. In the book of Acts, we read about Paul's missionary journey into the city of Corinth and his role in starting a church plant there. Now, this is sometime later. Paul has gone on to start many other church plants. He has been arrested numerous times, and he has suffered a lot of horrible things. But during this time, he has continued to instruct the church in Corinth through letters and representatives. Other apostles have also come along, and led the church in person, including people like Peter and a man named Apollos. And long story short, 
A lot has happened in the life of Paul and in the life of the church of Corinth. And this letter is a response to a previously written letter by an individual named Chloe, who's a leader in the church of Corinth. This letter was sent to Paul because the church in Corinth is experiencing division and quarreling. People have begun fighting over which of the apostles leading them are the best. Many have begun rejecting Paul because of all the things he has suffered, all of his hardships, and the fact that, well, he's not very popular among a lot of the leaders right now. And they've compared him to these other leaders who are doing pretty well for themselves and also have respect from other important people. And not only that, but they are living very sinful and selfish lives under the false assumption that because they have found freedom in Christ, they can do whatever they want. Now, there are still some who are faithful to the gospel of Christ and to Paul's teachings, and they're calling these people out. And all of this has created an environment of fighting. These quarrels boil down to two claims. One, my apostle is better than your apostle. And two, the way I live my life is my business. You can't tell me what to do. Ultimately, the church is being split because people are so focused on themselves and making themselves feel and look holy and spiritual that they're actually failing to be holy and live into the calling of the Holy Spirit. So not only has these root issues begun to plague the church, but it's now branching off into other areas of their Christian life, and it is hurting their witness in the city. One area that has particularly been poisoned by their bickering is that of their weekly worship service. People have begun using their spiritual gifts to one-up each other. Now picture this with me, right? You walk in the door Sunday morning, and up on the stage, every member of the band is playing their own instruments to whatever song they choose. The singers are singing as loud as they can, trying to, come up, to be heard over the instruments, and it is just utter chaos as they get louder and louder, trying to be the one everybody pays attention to. Back at the door, you're greeted by individuals who say, hey, I got the gift of healing, and for a small price, I'll heal whatever ails you. Up at the altars are individuals who are praying louder and using as complicated words as they can to try to put attention on themselves. Others are spouting off random prophecies just so that people will listen to them. And just when you think it can't get any more chaotic, Pastor Troy, Lenny, Thomas, and I all get up and start preaching individual sermons, saying, listen to me. My lesson's better. Ignore the other guys. This place would be utter chaos, and I can guarantee no visitors would come in long enough to check the time, let alone learn about the gospel of Christ. But this is the culture of the church in Corinth. Worship wasn't a time to learn and grow and experience Christ together. It was a time to prove that one's spiritual gifts were better than the others. It was chaotic, disruptive, and anything but Christ-like. And it is into this reality that Paul writes his letter, and in particular, chapter 12, where we're going to be reading. Paul has already addressed the roots of the problem, the focusing on human leaders rather than on Christ and incorrectly using their freedom to live sinful lives. And now he's digging deeper and addressing more specific issues the church is facing, in particular, the correct understanding of spiritual gifts. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, to see what Paul has to say about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, or to keep with the sports theme, Christ's team. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. So going back to the poster of Know Your Role. In previous passages, Paul has already assigned the role of coach to Christ. Not himself or the other leaders that the Corinthians are comparing him to, but Christ. At best, Paul and these other leaders are assistant coaches, but probably not even that. He's also assigned the role of official to the Holy Spirit, who guides and transforms their lives. And the spectators are assigned in a different letter of Paul to be the ones who are God-fearing men and women who have passed on before and are in glory. So here he is addressing the players. But for anyone who knows anything about playing team sports, there are still different roles within the category of player. For example, I coach volleyball, so I'm going to use that as an example here. I have the setter who's responsible for, well, setting the ball, kind of self-explanatory there. Uh, there's the libero, who's the defense in the back row. There's my hitters and blockers, who are responsible for offense and defense at the net. And there's the captain, who's responsible for leading the team on the court. And every team sport is the same, right? Basketball has their forwards, their wings, their posts. Football has their quarterback, running back, lineman, kicker, and, well, a whole other slew of positions. Soccer, rugby, even track and field all have different roles that players need to fill in order for the team to be successful. And here Paul is saying that it's the same for the team sport of being a member of the body of Christ. 
he begins his instruction by defining who really is a part of the body and who isn't. Instead of getting hung up on what leaders they are listening to or who is better, he simply says that anyone who claims Jesus is Lord is doing so by the Holy Spirit. And anyone who speaks against Christ or curses him cannot be doing that while being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Basically, to be identified as a member of the team, you have to proclaim Christ is your Lord. Just as a member of a sports team wears a jersey in order to identify them as a part of the team, so too this is the jersey of being a Christian, to proclaim Christ as Lord. Now once he defines who's on the team, Paul dives into what it means to have a role on that team. He begins by reminding them that there are a variety of roles and gifts for each member, but they are all made possible by by the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit in their lives. This is important because remember back to why this letter was written in the first place? The church is divided because they are so focused inwardly. Who has the best teacher? Who can gain the most in this life? Who has the best spiritual gifts? That they've lost sight of what it means to be a member of Christ's team. So Paul reminds them that it is Christ who leads them. The Holy Spirit who empowers them to do anything. And that without God acting first they wouldn't be able to choose anything other than to remain enslaved to the sinful and broken world around them. Therefore, there's absolutely no grounds for anyone to boast in the first place. Now, once he clears up these two key elements regarding the roles and gifts of the members of the body of Christ, he dives into what those roles are. First, he says everyone is given the role of using their gifts to benefit the common good. Any gift that is used for personal gain or promotion is failing to live into the role that they've been assigned. Then he lists the individual gifts and roles that are used for the common role of the good of all. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in other tongues and languages, and interpreting those tongues and languages. This means that there is a need for some in the body to be the voices of discernment, to help guide people through difficult problems. Some are needed to know the scriptures and the history of the believers in order to teach others. Some are needed to have faith so strong that they are going to trust God even when nothing makes sense. Still others are needed to to heal and to be used by God to do amazing things that don't seem humanly possible. Others are needed to discern whether what people are saying and doing is of Christ's spirit or a sinful spirit. And still others are needed to be able to effectively communicate with people outside of their language and culture and to understand other languages and culture to help spread the gospel to the rest of the world. Each of these roles are important in order to fulfill the mission of Christ, and no one person could ever hope to fulfill all of these by themselves. And then Paul gets to the real root of the problem. Whose role is most important? And the simple answer is no one's. Here he attributes the members of the church to a literal body. He says, imagine if your foot said it wasn't a part of the body because it wanted to be made a hand instead. Well, short of having your foot amputated, does that make it any less of the body to just say it isn't? Well, no. Or what if the ear complained that it, because it wasn't an eye, it wasn't a part of the body? Well, that doesn't make it any less of the body either. Paul is using this humor and bizarre imagery to get his point across. But essentially, he's saying that just because you don't have a particular gift or role, you are no less a part of the body than those who do. Now here is where the picture Paul paints becomes even funnier, and so I had to add some visuals. Let's look back at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now, I love these ridiculous images, but could you imagine if you woke up tomorrow with everybody being only the body part they thought was most important? You walk out the door and there's a hand over there, foot over there, some eyes down there and a brain back there. Sounds like the start of a horror movie, not the existence I hope any of you hope to live in. But that's exactly how the church was treating spiritual gifts. But Paul is saying every role in the body of Christ is important, and everyone is needed in order for it to be complete. Skip down to verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. See, we cannot say that we are not a part of the body because we feel our role is less important than another. And we cannot look down on another because we feel their role is less important than ours. Apart from medical intervention, if a person were to go off and cut off any member of the body, they would either, one, bleed out and die, or get an infection and it would kill them, right? Removing a body part is not healthy. So if we are also to be a thriving, living, and active body of Christ, we cannot cut off even one member. But we must keep every member healthy and supported so that we can be Christ to the world. When thinking back to the sports team, right, every player thinks that their goal is to be on the court and to get as much playing time as possible, and most would agree with that. On my volleyball team, the starters would be the ones we would cons probably consider the most important by society standards. They're the ones who get the playing time, the ones people pay attention to, and they're the ones everyone wants to be. However, I have a couple girls on my team whose main role is to be an encouragement on the bench. One girl in particular that I have this year cheers on and encourages her teammates no matter how much playing time she gets. If I have a girl who is just struggling, getting down on herself and her attitude is just not where it needs to be, I sit her next to this girl and within a few seconds, she'll have her ready to go and fulfill her own role. While many would think that her role is less important because she's not out on the court, without her on my team, we'd be a lot less successful. And Paul is saying that there are many roles in the body of Christ that are similar. They may not be the most flashy or the ones that bring the most people in the door or the ones that get attention from others, but without them, the body would be incomplete and could not thrive. Now, Paul ends this passage with a simple yet powerful call to all the members of the body. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. At first, this particular verse didn't actually really stand out to me as I was preparing for today. But then I was actually trying to find a video to start off the sermon, and I came across one from a movie that came out in 2005 called Coach Carter. And in it, Coach Carter is tasked with turning a rowdy, disrespectful, and destructive group of boys into a winning basketball team. He reinforces that they are students first and requires them to start attending and passing their classes, as well as being respectful at all times with all people. His tough rules actually result in many players leaving the team and getting angry, including a boy named Cruz. However, a few scenes later, we see that Cruz has come back and wants to join the team. He says, Coach, what do I got to do to play? To which Coach Carter actually replies, you don't want to know the answer to that. And he just continues coaching. 
expecting Cruz to leave. But Cruz is persistent. And he says, all right, you know what? If you want to join the team, you give me 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicides by Friday. Basically, an impossible task. In fact, he says, give up, Mr. Cruz, go home. But Cruz starts doing them anyway. And then the following scene takes place. Let's play the clip. What? Mr. Cruz, I'm impressed with what you've done, but you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles, and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do some. I'll run suicides, too. If one person struggles, we all struggle. If one player triumphs, we all triumph. That is what a healthy team looks like. And that's what Paul is telling the church in Corinth that they need to be as members of Christ's body. So what does this mean for us? Well, first, you need to make sure that you're even on the team. Do we declare Jesus is Lord? Have we made that choice? If you haven't, I really want to encourage you to start exploring, asking questions, and deciding if you're willing to ask, Coach, what do I got to do to play? We want you on the team. Jesus wants you on the team. But we can't make that choice for you. Now, once you are on the team, it's time to figure out what your role is. Every one of us has been given gifts to help better the body of Christ. You may have been called to be teachers and leaders, helping others discover who they are in Christ. Or you may have been called to be prayer warriors who lift others up to God. Still others may be called to outreach ministry and be the body of Christ in your workplaces and schools and the community around you. Some may be called to lead the younger generations through children's and youth ministry. Others may be called to greet and make people feel welcome within the building. Still others may have been called to the gift of hospitality and provide meals or shelter to those in need. Others may be called to visit and encourage those stuck at home or in the hospital. Maybe you've been called to roles like the worship team, the sound and media team, 
the security team, or even the custodial team. Each and every one of us have been called to fulfill our role as a member of the body of Christ, and we've been given the unique gifts necessary to do our jobs. If even one of us does not live into that calling, the whole body suffers. And if even one role is not treated as honorable and important, the whole body suffers. Maybe you don't know what your role is, what gifts God has equipped you with. It's okay. I bet if you ask the people closest to you, they can tell you. They'll know exactly how God has empowered you to fulfill your role. Or we have spiritual gift tests that can help narrow down the areas you're strongest at. Or if all else fails, try out a few. If an area of ministry sounds interesting to you, try it. If it doesn't work, try another one. But fill your role. The point is that each of us needs to be actively participating in the role God has called us to do, or we are hurting the overall functionality of the body of Christ. In fact, if we aren't a part of the team, we become spectators. And if you remember at the beginning of the sermon, Paul assigns those to people who have already died. The spectators, if you resign yourself to just being a spectator, you are not truly living as a member of Christ. To be physically living and choose to be a spectator, you are choosing to be spiritually dead. On our physical bodies, when a part of the body dies, it either has to be removed or replaced. The dead part is no longer helpful to the overall function of the body. So too, if we choose to be spectators and therefore spiritually dead, we are no longer useful to the function of the body of Christ. So what should our response be? Our response should be, put me in, coach. We should be members of the body of Christ, Jesus' team, that are on the court ready to fulfill our roles. The official has blown the whistle. The countdown clock has started. The game has begun, and we are being called upon to step up and do our jobs. And all we have to say is, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And then go out and fulfill the role that God has called you to fulfill. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are here. We're sitting on the bench, and we're saying, God... I'm ready to play. Put me in. We just ask that you would empower us to figure out what our role is and go out and do it. We thank you, Lord, that you have acted first so that we can choose to be on your team. And we just pray that you would help us to fulfill the roles to the best of our abilities and to make us more and more like the people you have created us to be. We ask that as we go out from these doors today that you would help guide us Show us where we're called, who we're called to minister to, what we're called to do, what you want to see out of our lives so that we can be a healthy, thriving body doing your work. We thank you, Lord, for this time together and that we are able to meet together, but we ask that you keep us from just being spectators, being spiritually dead, that you help us live and thrive and be the players that you've called us to be. We love you, Lord. Amen.